Fernandez. And my name is Michael Fernandez. And welcome back to another episode of What Makes It Great. Today we are talking about 1939's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, directed by Frank Capra. And it's number 29 on the original American Film Institute's list, and it moved up to number 26 on the 10th anniversary list. Awesome. Frank Capra again. Woo! Our second one. Yeah, buddy. All right, so... This was not my first time watching it. Was this your first time watching it? This was my first and second time watching it. Uh huh. Oh, you watched it twice? Yes. How did you watch it? Uh, rented it from Amazon Prime. It's not on any other streaming service that I could find, so that was the go-to. And I also watched it twice. In the most recently, yesterday was when I most recently watched it. So pretty fresh on my mind to talk about. But I had seen it, like I said. I thought I had watched it with our dad. Like, I rented it from the public library or something Mm -hmm. back in late high school, early college. But he doesn't remember watching it or have ever seen it, having seen it after I talked with him. So maybe I just watched it on my own. But I thought I had watched it with him. (laughs) Either way, I had seen it a long time ago. I remember liking it a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I was excited to rewatch it. And I rewatched it. And I still liked it a lot. Yeah, um, I watched it for the first time on Saturday of last week. Um, mm-hmm. It's like Thursday today, so Saturday. Um, it's not quite as fresh on my mind. I watched it Saturday and Sunday, um, mm-hmm. and I bought it on Amazon because I liked it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I figured it was one that I was going to go back to, and um, I don't know. I like working on a Jimmy Stewart impression, too, because it's like classic voice and everything, <laughs> classic actor. And so, you know, the more works of his that I own, the uh, more uh, material I will be able to grab from. <laughs> well, well um, whenever we go to a quote or something of his, uh, I'll leave it up to you to, to quote it. Well, uh, well, gee whiz, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we talked about where we watched or how we watched the movie, and now let's dive into some key players and i want to talk we already talked about frank capra before when we talked about it happened one night but i wanted to great movie great director if you haven't watched the movie watch the movie and then go listen to our episode um it is just he's awesome we talked about frank capra at the beginning of that one and he's just so so cool he really is and so i wanted to um talk just mention him very briefly here but spend most of the time talking about our two main stars james stewart and gene arthur okay um so for frank capra i just wanted to remind everyone a little bit that this is an immigrant from italy talking about american ideals and ethics and morality and i just wanted to highlight that remind our listeners that he's an immigrant and i love that it's an immigrant talking about what it means to be an american Mm -hmm. and and just keep that context in mind especially during this time frame this part of american history that it's an immigrant that is putting forward these messages i think that's something really important too that is really cool that adds another layer for sure um is that all you had to add or you just wanted to like talk? yeah that's just i just wanted to mention that again um if you want to know more about frank capper you can look it up or you can listen to the beginning of our it happened one night episode I've got one little thing. I didn't do much research for this film. I just kind of wanted to soak it in. But mm-hmm. I uh, watched a couple of interviews and things with Jimmy Stewart and with uh, Frank Capra. Mm-hmm. And there was one really cool thing with Frank Capra that I wanted to share. Um, sure. It was more funny. <laughs> but he was on the talk show and he's asked about his uh, family and his mother. 
um, and what she thought of his acting. And he was like, uh, my mother thought that a job was like, you know, hammer, nails, wood, building something like you're mm-hmm. out there working, like manual labor, like working, working. Um, and he was like, she had no idea what I was doing, really, and didn't think I had a job at all. And <laughs> he's like, I took her to, um, I think it was the It Happened One Night. He's like, I took her to that, uh, you know, the opening. What do they call it? It's been so long since a movie's premiere. come. A premiere. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Uh, he's like, I took her to the premiere and, you know, she watched the movie and I asked her, I said, Ma, what'd you think of it? And she goes, Frankie, when are you going to get a job? <laughs> it's like that movie won all of the Oscars, like all right. the big five. <laughs> super Such, successful. Super successful. And yes, his immigrant roots are very strong and he's just a very down to earth man because his mom never uh, was able to see him at how high he was, I guess. <laughs> But I, I thought that was kind of cool. Mrs. Capra. <laughs> when are you going to get a job? <laughs> That's such a mom thing. I know. <laughs> All right. So I have a little bit of information on James Stewart and Gene Arthur. Okay. So go for James it. James Jimmy Stewart, the American film institute, ranks him as the number three greatest male star of classic Hollywood. Man. And he's really known as an everyman and able to portray, portray the the American ideal of the common man. And I think that's very well exemplified in this movie with this role in particular. And he's in um, this one. And obviously it's a wonderful life with Frank Capra later on. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it in Happened one night, how Frank Capra is really good at like relating to the people and the common man. And he's always sure. looking out for, you know, the other guy, the little guy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jimmy Stewart, I was like, maybe that's either like Frank Capra found him. I was like, oh, this is perfect for everything that I write and want to make. Or, you know, did he bring it out of Jimmy Stewart? Did Jimmy already have it? Or, you know, vice versa, did Frank Capra bring it out of Jimmy? I think it's uh, the perfect pairing. I think it's the, the in-between of exactly what you're describing is that, you know, Frank Capra has this inclination to want to champion the common man, the everyman, and he found his perfect partner in in Jimmy Stewart, who was able to so effectively portray that type of role. Mm-hmm. Um, so he stars with Gene Arthur in another Frank Capra movie called You Can't Take It With You, mm-hmm. um, shortly before Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And really, it's his role in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington that's kind of his big break a- breakthrough role. Mm-hmm. And he gets nominated for his first Oscar for it. Man. He's nominated five times for... Uh, for the Oscars, but he only won one for another movie on the list pretty soon called The Philadelphia Story. Oh, that buddy. is another Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant movie, but it also features Jimmy Stewart in an Oscar-winning role. Wow. Shortly after that movie, he joins the Army to fight in World War II in the Army Air Corps, and he began as a private. Uh, he was always really interested in flying planes, and I think he had his commercial pilot's license prior to it. So he joins as a private, but because he has his commercial pilot's license he's in, even though he's a lot older than so other soldiers he's in his like 30s um he's able to eventually ri- he rises to the rank of colonel in four years wow. one of the few to ever do so to rise to the rank of colonel that quickly and uh he started off just training pilots they were like we're not going to put him out there um but he really wanted to be out there and he started flying bombing missions wow. and he flew bombing missions over Europe and stayed in the reserve for many, many years. And eventually he was promoted to brigadier general. 
Dang. And which is insane. He flew as an observer on a bombing mission during the Vietnam War, so he was still very much kind of involved in the army in some capacity. Man. Uh, throughout his career and throughout his life, really. Dang. Um, I think I saw he, somewhere that he became a general. That's nuts. Yeah. That's like he's this Oscar winning actor. He's super famous and he's also a general in the army yeah number Uh, three you know male actor of all time or whatever and then also yeah (laughs) yeah he comes back from world war ii and and he does it's a wonderful life and stars in a lot of westerns in the 50s and works with alfred hitchcock a lot in the 50s and kind of has a finds his another wave of career success by doing westerns and working with hitchcock and Mm-hmm. He becomes very politically active in conservative Republican causes and supports a lot of conservative and Republican candidates and participates in congressional hearings against against colorizing black and white films such as It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. He was very adamantly against that. And Ted Turner um, owned a bunch of cable news channels and was trying to colorize a bunch of classics to try to reintroduce them to people, including It's a Wonderful Life. And they did. him. I've and seen they did that do movie that, in color, yeah. It's yikes. I don't... Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I've accidentally, like, if you go on Amazon Prime, I think both It's a Wonderful Life is on there, and so every Christmas I watch it, and I accidentally clicked on the color one. Like, ugh, <laughs> I got out of it real quick and put on the black and white version. <laughs> you know, I bet you, um, you don't hear too many people say that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> right, but some, there's just something about it. It just seems so fake. Yeah, it does. Um, die, he, and then he dies in 1997 from a heart attack at the age of 89. Wow. Um, that's what all I, all I included on James Stewart. Do you have anything on him? No, just his, you know, incredible, iconic voice. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's just so good at acting. I'm going to be conscious about using fillers this podcast and saying um and things because while I was listening to uh, Jimmy Stewart talk, <laughs> excuse me, he um, just, I just did it again. He just talks so slow and, uh, I did it all there too, but he takes his time to think about each of his words. <laughs> but he also kind of like mumbles sometimes under his own breath. And yeah. Like he talks under his breath and everything like that. It's, he's got a funny, very p- particular way of talking. I, th- I feel like it's kind of like the male equivalent of how Catherine Hepburn talks. Kind of, yeah. That's a good good way to put it. But it's not that. What do they they have that European American whatever English the American transatlantic or yes, whatever yeah. accent? He definitely does not have that. Or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, it's something. It's something very like no one else talks like that though. It's just a very, uh, you know, weird, odd voice. But uh, it works for him very well. Do you know where he was born by any chance? I didn't look. That I up. feel like it's Pennsylvania somewhere. What? <laughs> i think so that's ridiculous i think for sure he'd be from like the midwest or like you know the south or someplace like that because he was born in indiana yeah indiana so indiana Mm -hmm. okay yeah he does kind of have an every you know the everyman common man midwestern oh indiana pennsylvania hold on (laughs) wait it is pennsylvania (laughs) city in pennsylvania indiana pennsylvania that is (laughs) tricky oh my gosh okay Anyways. Well, anyway, so Jean Arthur is the other the the get she gets equal billing in this movie with him, mm-hmm. and uh, she is it. Jean Arthur is not her real name. I don't know why I didn't write down her real name, but <laughs> Jean Arthur is a stage name that she took from Joan of Arc, Jean from Joan, and King Arthur. Huh. Um, 
and she got her start in silent films, made a successful transition to sound. A lot of actors and actresses did not make that transition, but she was able to. Um, she worked with Frank Capra in Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, You Can't Take It With You, and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. So this was her third of three collaborations with him. Hmm. And very successful in the screwball comedy genre. Some people, like, she is apparently, like, the female actor in the, that defines, like, the screwball comedy genre. I can see it. Yeah, she's got that good... Uh, I don't know. They had good chemistry. It makes sense that they had a movie before... Uh, mm-hmm. together before this one but yeah she kind of had like um do you remember in swing time what was that um the girl with pop that was hanging out with pop all the time what was her name oh yeah yeah um i don't remember her name but i but uh the character's name's not not coming off kind of really quick not, I can't recall quick kind of dry vibes of that mm-hmm. lady plus also you know really attractive no ginger rogers but still this gene arthur is very very attractive and she kind of mm-hmm. had like a i don't know like a really good like subtle facial features subtle like acting where she just seemed like she was longing for jimmy stewart a couple times in this movie and i was i was mm-hmm. very impressed with her but i didn't think i saw her in like anything else or i'd seen any other big movies that i'd recognize that she had been in before yeah, I don't think I've seen her in anything else either, but it's odd because of reading about her and how popular she was at the time that I haven't heard of anything else that, or seen of anything else that she's been in. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the producers or some that works with Frank Capra a lot said she was like, she was very conscious to be photographed on her left side. Her left side she was really fond of and said her left side looked like an angel. And so there's some quote on the Wikipedia article. It's terrible. It's like, and her right side looks like a horse. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bizarre. Wasn't there but, another? Uh, wasn't Claudette Colbert like that, too, with the lights? Oh, I don't know. But I feel like that's a... I've heard of that pretty common, like... This is my good side, and yeah. you know, and people being very conscious to like get photographed from their quote unquote good side. <laughs> it's bizarre. It is pretty funny. Um, she gets nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress in 1944 for a movie called The More the Merrier, and her characters and roles are really known for their beauty and their spirit. She largely retires from acting in the 1950s and begins teaching drama. Hmm. And one of her students was Meryl Streep. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. She was, and she, apparently she was quoted as like, whenever Meryl Streep was her student, she was like, you could tell, she said something like, she you, she could tell that she was a star, like she was going to be a big deal. Yeah. And she becomes arguably the greatest actress ever. So that's kind of a cool little connection that she was taught, that Meryl Streep was taught by Jean Arthur at one point. That her, is really uh, cool. Act, was her acting teacher. The Streeper. I thought another interesting thing about Jean Arthur is that in 1973, when she was like 72 or 73 years old, she was arrested for trespassing. <laughs> what? And what happened was she's a huge animal lover and she trespassed onto someone's property because she went to go console a dog that she felt was being mistreated. <laughs> No, she was married twice and didn't have any kids, but a huge animal lover, and apparently so much so that she would trespass on your property to console dogs if she felt like they weren't being treated right. That's sweet. (laughs) And then she, in 1991, at the age of 90, she dies from heart failure, and Mm. so that's a little bit of Gene Arthur. Mm. And there's a lot of a lot of other actors in this movie 
um, that we can talk about, but I was like, let's just, I want to spend some time talking about this movie, but Claude Rains is in this movie. He plays one of the main characters and he is, we're going to see him in Casablanca later on, but he was also the invisible man for Universal. Oh, cool. And, and um, we also see, um, oh, what's his name? I forget the name of the actor, but he plays the character Diz in this movie. Oh, and his name he was Doc Boone and Stagecoach. Thomas Mitchell. Thomas Mitchell, yes. Mm-hmm. Doc, he, the same year, he also played Doc Boone in Stagecoach. So he had a really good year. The drunk? Yeah. Oh, wow. He was a drunk in both of them. I like, barely recognize him. <laughs> not very varied characters, but... <laughs> not the most versatile. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get into the movie, I don't really have any key concepts. I just wanted to kind of situate us in contextually what's going on in the in the world yes please. you know this is right before this is you know depression new deal era united states right before they enter into world war ii and the hayes office which is the the hayes production code the one that like basically the censors they warned movie studios that the subject matter because there was multiple studios that were looking to adapt this short story that mm. this is based on into a movie and they warned them that the subject matter of this movie may cause some concern and it could be detrimental to the movie industry and the country at large. What? And so there was fear that this would undermine American dis- democracy during an unstable time in the world. You mean the and people so, trying to censor other people's voices and trying to censor their free speech? Those people are saying yeah. that this movie is going to undermine American democracy of freedom? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. Okay. I just wanted to put that in context. <laughs> right. <laughs> But so um, keep that in mind that this movie was very controversial when it when it was being made and, and especially the time that it came out where, you know, Hitler and Nazism are on the rise and Stalin and the Soviet Union are on the rise. And and this is a movie that shines a critical light at American democracy and American government. And, you know, that's not that was not very popular among a lot of people at the time and Mm-mm. but the the filmmakers thought it was an important message to share and and that thought they had a big story to tell and so they powered through and released it and so mm-hmm. it's that's also i think really important to to look when to think about when looking into and analyzing this movie yeah but that's all i have to talk about it you want to dive into the movie or you got some things to share no let's get started okay we get credits with a bunch of like patriotic Yankee Doodle Dandy type of music playing, and and Gene Arthur and James Stewart get equal billing on the on the same title card, and uh, then we get into the movie and we learn Senator Samuel Foley from some unknown state, unnamed state, has died. That's right. Excuse me. And uh, Senator Joe Payne, who's the other senator from that state, who's played by Claude Rains, calls the governor of the state. I believe his name is Hopper. Mm-hmm. Um, calls him in the middle of the night to alert him that that the senator Sam Foley has died, and the governor calls Jim Taylor, who's a businessman who apparently holds all the political control and influence in the state, and he tells him what's going on. and And there's a funny little moment where the governor's wife is giving him crap for never saying no to Jim Taylor. He's just like, "Yes, Jim. Yes, Jim. Yes, Jim." And it's like, mm-hmm. I wonder what would happen if you ever said no to him. Ain't coming. Yes, Jim. Yes, Jim. Yes, Jim. I suppose he'd drop dead if you ever said no to him. Oh, no, my dear. This is no time for jokes. 
And then we go to Jim Taylor and Joe Payne are meeting in the governor's office, and they're trying to figure out who's going to, who they're going to appoint to, and by them they mean who are they going to tell the governor to appoint to this vacant Senate seat, someone that's not going to rock the boat too much because they have this deficiency bill, which is designed to provide economic relief. I'm thinking of it as a very like New Deal type of Mm -hmm. bill to provide jobs and work and resources to a lot of really hurting people in the country. Mm -hmm. But there's a section of this bill that they've snuck in where there's going to be a dam that's going to be built on a place called Willett Creek, which Mm -hmm. they always say Willett Crick. Yeah, Willett Crick. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, apparently Jim Taylor has been secretly buying up the land all around it and then he, the government's going to buy the land from him for a much higher profit. So it's all designed to get Jim Taylor a bunch of money. Yeah. Um, so they're trying to find a what they would call a born stooge to ap- get the governor to appoint to the Senate seat so he doesn't cause any trouble. And they want to appoint a guy named Horace Miller so that he won't make a fuss over this bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a minute. Just one more minute. Happy, we've got your man. Horace Miller. Horace Miller? Yeah. A born stooge. Why, old Horace will perform like a trained seal. What did I tell you, Joe? And the governor's all like, well, I got to go announce to these angry committees, and they're going to have something to say about it. Yep. And sure enough. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, Horace Miller's the guy. And sure enough, they, he goes and announces to the committees, and they're pissed off. And they want someone named Henry Hill, who sounds like a progressive reformer type person. Yeah. But uh, the governor gets threatened by Jim Taylor. He's like, "You gotta d- do get Horace Miller." And so he's but, like, so "That guy, no way, we're getting that guy." Um, he's like, "We need some, we need a stooge." Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. The crowd even calls out the first pick by Jim Taylor. They're like, "That guy's a stooge," and they start like mm-hmm. yelling at him. Yeah, it's it's obvious like what's going on to all these people. They uh-huh. know, they know the game. Yeah, but uh, so the governor is torn he doesn't know what to do and he goes to have dinner with his family and i loved this scene where he's One got of like the all of his kids in the movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah why don't you start talking about it yeah so he's got um it's basically like a you know heated thanksgiving dinner you know with your family nowadays you know everyone's talking politics and getting at each other's throats except <laughs> this is the governor of a state and he's got like six kids which yeah, homeboy's got like <laughs> a million children uh, yeah. <laughs> who all look exactly the same and have different accents. They're just all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. And they're all brothers I, I saw in the credits. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Or most of them, I think, are siblings. Um, but they all start just berating their dad and telling their dad who he should pick and how he should do his job. Just like, uh, you know, any other adult talking at a <laughs> Thanksgiving about politics there. No, mm-hmm. dad, we don't like uh, Horace Miller. or We don't like that other, what's his name? Hank, what? Henry. What? Henry Hill. Henry Hill. And we don't like Henry Hill either. It's like, who you need to pick, you need to pick uh, uh, Jeff Smith. Yeah, the, he's the leader of the boys, uh, Boy Scouts, basically, or what are they called? Yeah, the Boy Rangers, but apparently the they Rangers. couldn't. They there was going to be the Boy Scouts of America, but they weren't. They didn't get a release to use that name, so uh, they just gotcha. made up the Boy Rangers. Hi, 
What's the matter, Dad? Is it getting you down? Is what getting me down? You're in a deuce of a pickle, aren't you, Pop? Looks like Henry Hill or Elk, huh, Pop? No, it's Horace Miller or Elk. Peter! <laughs> Gee, Dad, I wouldn't appoint an old twerp like Horace Miller. Taylor or no Taylor? Taylor? May I ask what Taylor has to do with this? Well, he's still running the show, ain't he, Pop? Emma, I will not have conversation of this sort carried on by the children at dinner. Why don't you listen to your children for a change? <laughs> No doubt my children could make this appointment for me with the greatest ease. That's easy, Dad. Jefferson Smith. I beg your pardon? Jefferson Smith. He's the only senator to have. Sure. He ought to be president. I like Jeff Smith. Me too. Oh, you too. Now everybody's been heard from. Yeah, he's the boy. He's the greatest one. He's like, you got to read it in this paper here. He's like, think about it, Dad. There's a... Uh... There's a what is a hundred thousand kids here, and they each got two parents, and every all these kids are getting this every day, and that's two votes each, and it's like we can Which win is right false here. because it's like as if like two parents can't have more than one kid. Yeah, and the also math doesn't quite add up there. Got a lot of false confidence in those kids being able to persuade the parents. <laughs> every single one sure. of those parents. <laughs> well, they're able to persuade this guy. <laughs> that's true. Well, forgive my abysmal ignorance, but I don't know this Jefferson Smith from a hole in the ground. Gosh, Dad, head of the Boy Rangers. Oh, a boy. No, no, Dad, Jeff's a man, Jeff Smith. Biggest expert we got in wild game and animals and rocks. Yeah, and right now he's the greatest hero we ever had. It's all over the headlines. Sure, didn't you see about the terrific forest fire all around Sweetwater? I did. What about it? Well, Jeff put that out himself. Himself? Now, if you really want a senator... I Dad, do not want a senator. I do not want any more of this nonsense. He's the greatest America we got, too, Dad. He can tell you what George Washington said by heart. And boy, stuff's got the swellest stuff in it. What stuff? Boy stuff. That's the name of Jeff's paper. He prints it. Look, here's one. Oh, it's great. Everybody reads it. All the kids in the state. A million of them. Look, Pop, let me read you one of these. Peter, I'm in no mood to listen to childish prattle. Prattle? You're all wet, Pop. No, sir, you couldn't do better, Dad. Do better than what? Give for Senator. Emma, if you please. You want to get out of a pickle, don't you? Oh, he's looking out for votes, aren't you? Yeah, and here's 50,000 kids with two folks apiece, and they vote. You want to do yourself some good in this state, Dad? Also, isn't Henry Hill Ray Liotta's character's name in Goodfellas? It sounds familiar. <laughs> I think it is. It sounds very, very familiar. Maybe they took it from this. And by character's name, I mean, that's a real person that Ray Liotta is playing in that movie. So I guess <laughs> it's not a character that he's playing. He's, play he's playing a real person. It must be just a coincidence. No, but I don't remember. Um, but yeah, they basically, the dad gets pissed at the kids. Like, I will not have my children like trying to tell me what to do while I'm eating. And then they just keep going and keep going. And he's like, all right, I am out of here. He's like, no more business at dinner. You ever gonna stand up like a man someday and tell Taylor to get out? That it. I will not be attacked and belittled by my own children in my own home. All my nerves are strained to the breaking point. Oh, Hubert. What do you think, besides being really hilarious that his kids know, know all about Jim Taylor and the corruption and <laughs> politics and everything, what do you, does it, do you feel like it says anything about about what the movie's trying to say with having these kids, you know, speak up uh, about politics at the dinner table so knowledgeably? I mean, I don't know. It's just like the little guy maybe personified, you know, and six kids. <laughs> yeah. Frank Capra's small guy, you know, just speaking the true voice of uh, morality and what's right mm -hmm. and what you should do, you know, while the rest of the adult world is all bogged down by... Uh, money and you know do this and I know I want you to do this I've got you know a stake in this you have to you know just a bunch of the 
terrible stuff of what it is to be an adult, I guess, and being involved in American politics. Um, and those yeah. kids just kind of shine a light, like an innocence, a truth, uh, like this is the way kind of thing. I agree. I was thinking about that too. I was like, that's such an interesting choice. I mean, there's the obvious comedy reasons to have the children speak up like that. But but I think that there is some sort of dramatic reason too. And, that, and you, I think you hit the nail on the head there, talking about the innocence. And it's... I think it's a lot of what Frank Capra is trying to tell in this movie. And I think James Stewart at one point later on talks about, you know, if men aren't going to make the right decisions, we should see what the kids can do or mm-hmm. something like. And if that's what the grown-ups have done with this world that was given to them, then we better get those boys camps started fast and see what the kids can do. It's like one of his big things is kind of, you know, we should promote like these ideals that we teach our children. Mm-hmm. You know, they know them. We should listen to them and, and you know. Yeah. And I don't know. So I think like, that's I that's really I think an, an intentional choice to yeah. have the kids beyond just the comedy of it, but the dramatic element of it too. Yeah, I agree. And we'll we'll talk about that a little more once we get uh, towards the end of the film. <laughs> yeah. So the governor, his kids have told him one thing. Jim Taylor's told him one thing. He's not sure what to do. He goes to his office and the he people flips told a coin him another says, thing too. What happened? The people told him another thing. Oh, the the people have told him one thing. Jim Taylor have told him one thing. His kids have told him a third thing. And the governor flips a coin. He says, he- I think it's heads for Hill and tails for Miller. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the coin lands on its side up against the newspaper with an article about Jefferson Smith pu- putting out some, being a hero and putting out like a wildfire or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the coin lands on its edge up, you know, vertical, yeah. perpendicular to the table. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and of course so he's made it and he's like that's oh, good enough for me kind of a thing so he appoints jefferson smith to the senate and he has to do some convincing to taylor and Payne. but uh pain eventually comes around and he's like look at i mean eventually this guy he can quote washington and lincoln you know and he's mm-hmm. he's a boy scout basically you know so he's like this could be good you know yeah and so he gets them on board and they go to have a big reception for jefferson smith and the governor gets up and says a few words, and then he gives the microphone over to Jefferson Smith, James Stewart, the first time we see him. And he gives a, a nice speech where he's like, I keep thinking that there's a, some mistake or something. And uh, then he flips then he it to, yeah, he praises the senator. That's, he's like, uh, Senator Payne, uh, my father worked with you, and uh, he had nothing but good things to say or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we reveal that his yeah his father is named Clayton Smith and he was really good friends with Joe Payne yeah and they went to school together and he, his father thought very highly of him and I love Claude Rains's face during these scenes mm-hmm. you know he just he's he's already you can see the guilt he already has mm-hmm. on his face and as well as some happiness and nostalgia when he's like oh yeah I loved. Clayton Smith, that guy, he, you know, we used to fight on so many, fight for so many different people's rights, and and it was such a thrilling time, and combining that with the guilt of where he's at now in his in his political career, working with Jim Taylor, yeah, it, it's just such a subtle thing that that I feel like you don't you don't have all of the information yet in the movie, Mm-mm. but you're starting to see hints of it, and. And it provides, it's just a subtle performance by Claude Rains, but it's one that's very, very effective. And I feel like there's a number of performances in this movie where they do some really cool, subtle things with their faces that just hint at more story, more, there's more going on here. And it's, yeah. 
I loved the performances across the board in this movie. So I'm glad that I I agree. The performances were very good. Um, And kind of like what I said about Gene Arthur at the beginning, I'm glad you said it about Claude Rains because the, uh, the vice president or the president of the Senate or whatever um, Mm -hmm. later on, same thing, just a lot of good facial, you know, very subtle acting, just reactions and just letting, you know, they're not saying it, they're just showing it. Um, which mm-hmm. is super, exactly. super effective. And then they let, you know, Jimmy Stewart kind of break them down, um, I guess, emotionally or just morally. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know how he appeals to them. But yeah, this little face that Claude Rains makes whenever he, uh, Jimmy Stewart's praising him for, I don't know what, um, knowing his dad and working with his dad and being good and true and everything. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, just the start of the guilt building up. It's genuine. He looks at him. He's like, oh, thanks. You know, if you're just watching it for the first time, you're like, oh, look, he's paying me a compliment. I thought like, this guy was about to bomb this speech. We didn't really vet him out very well for this uh, Senate position. But, uh, you know, <laughs> but and it's like, so thanks th- for the compliment, there's something man. That, yeah, there's something else that you that you touched on that I, that I just thought of. is like, you know, the James Stewart character, Jefferson Smith, is he doesn't hide anything. He has no you know, strategies or schemes Mm -hmm. other than exactly what he is telling you. Yep. Like he's got, there's nothing under the surface for him. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, like he's very innocent and maybe naive, but good natured and everything that he believes he says, and he's, he's very strong willed that way and competent that way. Mm -hmm. Whereas every other character in the movie, and I think purposefully so keep some things to their you know they hold some things close to their vest or whatever the phrase is yep where where they keep some things hidden and so you see you'll see looks from saunders gene arthur's character you'll Mm -hmm. see looks from claude rains you'll see looks from the president of the senate that hint at what they what might be going on underneath but we never get to know the full story yeah and that's politics a lot of time it's like you have to like I'm going to talk to this person, but I'm also going to talk to this person and not tell, you know, and just kind of like the scheming kind of thing. And all these other characters have all these secrets and all these things, whereas Jefferson Smith goes in there and he feels like the odd man out, you know, even from a character perspective, because he's the only one that is genuine this way. (laughs) Yes. And it provides such a great dynamic where he's such a big, larger than life character that everyone else around him gets to excuse me, gets to perform these really subtle, nuanced performances that hint at so much more, and they're so much deeper and more more full characters because they're able to play so well off of Jefferson Smith and James Stewart's character. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I love Jim Stewart. This is uh, James, Jim Stewart. J- <laughs> J- Dang it, what is his name? Jimmy Stewart. I want to call him Jimmy Stewart, but they titled him as James Stewart in this. Um, right. yeah. But yeah, Jimmy Stewart is incredible, and ah man, this is a good conversation already, brother. I'm uh, <laughs> loving it even more, and uh, I've got just things to say, but I don't want to, you know, want to hold them until the end, I guess. Yeah, well, um, we'll move on. So the the Boy Rangers come in, they march play in playing instruments, and they present him with a briefcase. But I love the kid. He gets up, and he's got. They have this speech prepared, and he's super nervous and forgetting <laughs> the speech, and stumbling over his words and some other kids like oh it's one of the brothers <laughs> hmm? it's one of the governor's kids i think it's the same oh actor. yeah they're the governor's kids and eventually he just goes oh heck it's a briefcase jeff <laughs> 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 and 
then they sing Old Lang Syne, which is the big song at the climax of It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Um, so Frank Capra likes this song, apparently. But it's super emotional in It's a Wonderful Life. And it's also super emotional in this movie. Yeah, it got it me. Was. It got me, too. And I, it got me, and I had to like look it up. I was like, what the hell is up with this song making me feel so much? Like, what does it mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What Did you find anything? I have no idea what the heck this song means or what it... But it's... It gets me every time. I'm uh, looking it up right now. I'm pretty positive it means like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but there is, it did birth the one of the greatest slash worst Christmas songs of all times. It's like... The Drank a Toast to Innocence. Oh, yeah, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate that song. <laughs> but I also love that song. That song is pretty terribly awesome. We drink a dust of innocence. We drink a dust of love. Okay, so it says... What does it literally mean? And it says, It's not recognizable to English speakers because it's not an English phrase. It's like, literally, it means old, long, since... Like old times or the olden days or something like that. It's like a mm. a longing kind of sound. Like remember when everything was good, <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. That's so weird. Like let's send this guy off. I guess so. I don't know. Everything can be good yeah, well, again. I've got that's a repeating theme. Um, thank you for that. <laughs> dive into what the heck "old lang sign" means. But so they're singing it. And they're looking at him proudly, and the kids have, like, tears welling up in their eyes, and Jefferson Smith looks back at them proudly, and, and tears are welling up in his eyes as he goes off to proudly represent all these kids that believe in him. And, and it's, a, it's a great emotional send-off. And, Maybe. And then they're on a train ride to Washington, I think. They are. But before we move on, you know, okay, so it's like olden times, that song, and they're mm-hmm. just, like, talking about how great it was, I guess. It's kind of... Uh, you know, Christmassy, New Year's Eve kind of song, like, yeah. you know, let's remember the past and move forward, you know, with that kind of idea in, in mind. And gotcha. when I said I was like, that's kind of similar to things that are going on these days or phrases that are said commonly these days, um, you know, that are being mm-hmm. just horribly, I guess, used and st- stupidly used. I th- referring to something that's on caps that are yes. often red, yes, co- red in red color, <laughs> exactly, stupid, stupid okay. red hats. Um, <laughs> but this is interesting because I think it's more like legit, like they're saying this is someone that we are electing because he's a good person and he has good moral standing and he's genuine and he represents us for real. And mm-hmm. it's like this is like them talking about and they get all emotional and it's like hey man maybe we're on the way back to i don't know like the ideals the core ideals of this country not so much like whatever the hell this current movement of things going back to um the way they were i don't know mm-hmm. when their ideal like what year they were talking about it's not really applicable so much today but back then before world war ii and everything like that you know it was like yeah kind of a interesting message the same the make well, america great again kind of vibe i guess by sending jeff smith up to the senate but um well it different. could be just like <laughs> as you move on to this next stage of your journey don't like remember us yeah. and remember that we're the reason what you, why you're doing this kind of a thing oh. so like re- don't for like go on to your next stage of your journey but don't forget where you came from kind yeah of a thing. like these are the days we'll be singing about later like let's enjoy this like don't forget us like keep mm-hmm. us present kind of thing yeah Okay, anyways, that that wraps up my odd length signs uh, little thing. <laughs> we can move on now. <laughs> Let's drink a cup 
to kindness or something. I don't know. The innocence. Or toast to innocence <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, train ride to Washington and Smith and Payne are reminiscing about Jefferson Smith's dad and his championing championing of lost causes and how Joe Payne would would champion these causes with him and you know there was no cause greater than a lost cause kind of a thing and mm-hmm. and they would fight and, and Joe Payne talks about I remember your father he fought against an entire mining syndicate just because of one miner who who wanted to didn't want to get his land lost or something mm-hmm. and uh they talk about that Clayton Smith was shot he yeah. was murdered by this mining syndicate because of what he was doing and he found and Joe Payne found him hunched over his desk at, at in his office with his hat still on and uh and it's just a great, another great scene that highlights the best of these characters, I think. It's just, you know, the championing of the lost cause, you know, fighting for mm-hmm. the little guy. And and uh, no matter what the costs and no matter what the stakes were. And and Payne, you can see he's super proud of his of Jeff Smith's father and super proud to have known him and worked with him. And, mm-hmm. and a little sad that he's not that way anymore. Mm-hmm. And again, none of this is said, but nope. it's all, it is, uh, you know, it, it goes, it, it comes across in his perform in Claude Rains' performance. Yeah, it does. And it's because of Jimmy Stewart's so earnest performance and genuine performance that he's able to do that. It's, a, it's such a great pairing. Mm-hmm. But uh, they arrive in D.C. and Smith is greeted by Payne's daughter, Susan, and a bunch of her friends, and they, like, run up and kiss him and are asking for some money or something. I don't. I didn't really get that part, but... There were, like, five of them, and they all kiss him on the cheek or something while he's hilariously carrying pigeons. I don't think they yeah, were really explaining that. giant thing of, like, <laughs> multiple pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> but they all, As like... if he wasn't, like, country bumpkin-looking and sounding enough, I, I guess. Know. He has to be carrying around these pigeons. <laughs> But they all kiss him on the cheek, and then they're like, and that's a dollar for each kiss. That's five dollars, sir. And he's like, whoa, five dollars? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a lot of money back then, I yeah. feel like. <laughs> like, I didn't ask for those kisses. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but welcome, I guess. Yeah. yeah, he's got a bunch of pigeons, and he's like talking about, I was like, well, if I, I'm going to time them, and I'm going to enter him the fastest one into some contest oh it's like they're gonna fly back home or something like that they'll like joke with him like you're gonna send messages back home and he's like no i'm gonna see which one gets back uh i don't know if it's serious i don't know what the heck the point maybe he's just like bringing that invasive species of pigeons to washington (laughs) dc now that i'm thinking about it it's jeff smith's fault that there's (laughs) pigeons in dc these days um but anyways he notices uh it's susan right susan payne Susan Payne, yeah. Yeah, and he's just like blown away at how beautiful she is, and he talks about mm-hmm. that for a while, and he's kind of low-key obsessed with her. <laughs> yeah. And there's like a bunch of like people around him, and there's, you know, those all those women come up to him, and there's some reporters that come up to him, and I just felt overwhelmed on behalf of Smith. Mm-hmm. You know, Jefferson Smith, he gives a good performance that he's really overwhelmed, and, and you get that feeling too. And then he sees the Capitol Dome off in the distance. Oh, man, now the rest he of the freaks group out. Loses him. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. He just runs away. <laughs> yeah, he just runs off. He's gone. And so they call over at his office and his secretary answers, whose name is Saunders, played by Gene Arthur. And 
She's there with a reporter named Diz, who is Thomas Mitchell, a.k.a. Doc Boone from Stagecoach. Mm -hmm. And there, have you seen Smith? No, we haven't seen him. All right, well, we're keep an eye out on him. We're looking for him. He's probably out drunk somewhere or some kind of a thing. (laughs) But then we see him, he's on a bus, and he's off, and he's seeing the monuments and sites of D.C., and it's a montage where, like, half the time there's, like, a flag-waving kind of superimposed over the image, and... He goes to see the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Washington Monument and Jefferson Memorial and the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and all these different statues and flags and things are we see. And then eventually he kind of ends up at the Lincoln Memorial. Mm-hmm. And uh, we visited D.C. Um, do you remember? That was like 20 years ago almost. Since 2001, like right before 9-11. Oh, yeah, it was August of 2001, right before we started school that year. Mm-hmm. Again, right before 9-11, we went to D.C. and saw all the museums and the monuments and everything. And I remember seeing the Lincoln Memorial and just being super impressed by it and the size of it. And it re- reminded me of uh, Zeus. Zeus and Disney's <laughs> Hercules. <laughs> I knew what you were going to say before you said it. <laughs> yes. It's just like stand, you know, this huge statue sitting on this big chair in this like temple looking building. And and I got the same kind of feeling whenever he walks up there, just super impressed by it all. And he's standing in awe of it. And he goes up to part of the memorial that has the Emancipation Proclamation written on the wall as a boy is there reading it with his father. Mm -hmm. And there's a black man that comes up and, and they're all standing there in reverence as well. And it's super patriotic and super moving and and you know it's one of those moments that this movie does really well where they try to take the what it means to be an american and american ideals and they just present it so attractively yes and so plainly like just like the the rest of the movie like it's show don't tell like Mm -hmm. you know it's trying to it's almost like he's trying to flip the mirror on everybody it's like look we we have the makeup to be this amazing, great place. Um, yeah, they're struggling through or just recovering from the Great Depression still, yeah, and heating mm-hmm. up for war here, world war. Mm-hmm. Lots of turmoil and everything. And, yeah, what an important time to have a message like this. Um, just just show a message like this, I guess. Mm-hmm. Make everybody else, make the audience realize that, oh, yeah, we are. We, we're good. We can be good. <laughs> Yeah, and it it does it highlights the character of Jeff Smith again because he sees a young boy reciting these words to his old man father, mm-hmm. and it's like the kid is you know the, he's not doing it, but it's as if like the kid is reminding the adult mm-hmm. what it means to be an American. Yep. And you know, there's a line later on that Jefferson Smith says like a little bit of looking out for the other guy as well. And who's the other guy that's look that you know needs looking out after? There's a black man that's there too that's mm-hmm. listening to the Emancipation Proclamation being read. And and there's not that many black people in this movie. Mm-mm. There's that guy, and then there's, like, the people at the train station that are carrying the luggage, and that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, there's uh, some little children that are that work for the, the newspaper at the end. Okay, yeah, that's right. But but it the movie, at the same time, doesn't totally ignore them. Mm-hmm. And I think this scene is really important that and maybe you don't get this if it's not made by an immigrant, you know? Yeah. If it's made by someone that's born here in America, maybe you don't get this little nod or mention that it's not just white people in this country, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
That's so. true. I thought that was kind of interesting too. That is interesting. Or notable. Man, yeah, I'm gonna be thinking about Capra's like, you know, him being an immigrant and what that has to do or how that like influenced this movie and the message of this movie. But I think that's mm-hmm. really interesting. Let's talk about this some more at the end, but let's move on. All right. So then we go back to Saunders and Diz and they're chatting about how disillusioned Saunders is in her job and how she wished she would have quit when the previous guy died and and she's been there for a long time and she knows the system. She's super disillusioned and just like, what am I doing here? It doesn't have much direction. And then that's when Jefferson Smith arrives and she initially turns him away. <laughs> she's like, just get out of here or something. I forget what he says. But, he's uh, like, uh, like, he doesn't say Jefferson Smith or something. He's like, is this the office or whatever? And she's like, get out of here. And then she runs after him. He's mm-hmm. like, wait, wait, wait. What's your name? What's your name? He's like, uh, Jefferson yeah. Smith. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. come back, come back, come back. <laughs> yeah. So she gets him and she calls Payne to let him know he's arrived. And he's like, and he's sober too. And he's like, what? <laughs> and uh, he tells Saunders and Diz about his journey. And he's just like, I've never been called absent minded before, but, uh, you know, I just found myself on that bus. And then before I knew it, I was blah, blah, blah. And he's just waxing poetic about, about everything he saw. And he just, you know, his innocence and his reverence to everything is just really contagious, but not quite so much to Saunders and Diz at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so Smith and Saunders drive over, I think, to a hotel or something to meet the press that's there waiting for him. And and he's like a boy looking out the window oh, the man, whole that's way. He's so like, Look funny. at that. What is that? <laughs> I loved that. He's just like, oh, is that a statue? What's that statue? What's that called? What's that monument for? Who's that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was the name of that? And then Gene Arthur's like, I don't know. It's dark. I've seen it before, and uh, I didn't look <laughs> yeah. at it during the day, so I can't tell you. <laughs> and then the scene ends with a nice little comedic button. He's like, what was that? And he's like, movie houses. Yeah. <laughs> it, was just like, it was just movie theaters that he was passing by. He thought it was something that he had never seen before. But uh, they get to the place, and and uh, a bunch of reporters surround him and take start taking pictures and asking him questions. And and they ask him, like, do you have any ideas? And he's like, well, I got one idea of creating a national boys' camp where they can learn about nature and American ideals. And he says that he wants the government to lend the money to get it started, and then the boys for the boys' camp will collect pennies and nickels and dimes and stuff to pay the money back to the government. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, they're like, oh, that's swell. And he's like, hey, do you know any sign language or bird calls? And they start taking pictures of him and all these compromising poses and they run him through the mud. There's a montage of all these articles and pictures of him. And, and they're like, you know, he's like pinching his nose. And he's like, I, and the headline's like, he thinks this place stinks or whatever. And yeah. and they just totally make fun of him and misquote him in all of their papers after. They really take advantage of the poor guy. Yeah. No, then he marches on. It's okay. He he perseveres. Yeah. <laughs> he survives. He and Let's see what's next here. Um. Uh, Payne meets with Saunders and tells him to get him on to the Senate on time for his first day and to try to keep him away from poly- politics and the Willet Creek Dam. They So Saunders knows about it, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, Smith gets escorted to his desk by a page, who's this little young kid who tells him that it was this desk he's going to be sitting at was once belonged to Daniel Webster. <laughs> and so he, Jefferson Smith is thrilled he's like you mean the dictionary guy that's Miriam. that's what i thought when i heard webster too i was like hey wait (laughs) but uh the uh the 
the page orients him and the audience to, you know, who is who. Like he points out that's the Senate majority leader and that's the minority leader and up there's the press gallery and that's where the spectators are and he's pointing out all these things. We're like, okay, we know this is where we're gonna spend be spending a lot of the movie, so it's good for the audience to also know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And these are the players. Jefferson Smith gives him a little boy ranger button to pin pin on his lapel and and then uh Payne comes in and tells him that he's going to be sworn in. And he's like, you meet me here. We'll walk down there. The president of the Senate's going to swear you in. And we'll be good to go. Um, and then the president of the Senate, I guess, a.k.a. the vice president, I guess, yeah. um, who is played by an actor named Harry Carey, uh, comes in and begins the meeting. And I love this guy. This guy, I got some funny thoughts on him. But I really, really liked him. <laughs> He is great, and yeah, we'll talk about him more as 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 he he doesn't have too too much to do, but but he just soaks up every second that he's in, mm-hmm. like every scene that he's in is just gold. Yeah, <laughs> but they, uh, uh, Senator Payne presents the credentials of Smith to swear him in, and another senator stands up against it due to all the articles about him, and but Payne stands up for him, and then the president of the Senate swears him in, and. And uh, we're good to go. And then Smith finally sees the article about him. And this goes to my least favorite part of the movie and the weirdest part of the movie. Where? What? What, I forget what happens here. It's like this really e- odd montage of him going around punching out the reporters and photographers. It's, <laughs> it, it just doesn't fit with his character, I feel like, the rest of the time. It's just like he's walking around, he's all angry, and he sees one, and he goes, bam, punches, knocks him out, and he... He knocks out like six guys. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> I just, I don't like it. I feel like the movie could have, you could have cut this thing and it would have been fine. Totally. No, yeah, it was very random and so random I almost forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it. this is my one, I have like two things that I don't really like about the movie. This is the big one. <laughs> okay, and the other one's later? The other one is the very, very, very end of the movie. Okay. So we'll talk about it. But this is my major... This is like if I have, I have two gripes with the movie and this is the biggest one. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense for the character. I don't like it. I don't like it in the movie. I wish it wasn't there. And I don't know why. It just doesn't work for me at all. Yeah. It does. I mean, it It kind of works for me. I was... But not really. I just thought it was funny and it just reflected the times. Um you know, very because there's no consequences about it. There's zero consequences about it, um, but I mean, you know, for what he represents, like, and we're talking about the innocence of children and things like that, and talking, you know, and he's in this new city and he's got, you know, big eyes and looking at all the monuments and everything feels very much like a child, and mm-hmm. the ideals and like everything that he talks about and the ethics that he talks about later on in the movie don't fit with what he does here at all in any way shape or form but i think it speaks to that like manliness vibe that's going on at the time and you know it's like somebody wrongs him um and somebody you know defames him and makes him look bad he's going to do something about it because he is a free man in this country and he's going to do it um i don't think this is a you know in line with being kind and uh being you know looking out for the other guy or anything else that he Mm -hmm. was talking about but I do think it shows that he's going to stand up for himself and he's willing to fight. And I think that is consistent with his character. He's willing to fight for himself and for everybody else, not just, you know, take the shots for everybody. And I don't know. He's he's not a pushover, essentially. 
He's going to punch your face. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) But it's also like super hard to tell who exactly he's punching because it's like, did he just punch a guy that was just reading a newspaper? Or was that actually one of the photographers or reporters? Yeah, (laughs) I assume it's all the reporters. (laughs) Right. Which, I mean, yeah, that's that's not good, but... Um, but anyway, it does lead to a good scene where he goes to like the bar that all the reporters hang out at and they he confronts them all and he's like, oh, you should be talking about the truth. And they're like, you want to talk about truth? And they they really push and challenge him and they call him an honorary stooge. And mm-hmm. they're like, we're the only ones that can afford to be honest because we don't have to worry about being reelected. And and they break his illusions of what American government is real quick by being his first introduction to the corruption and the reality of what what's going on there. Yep. And it's I think that that starts him like the wheels turning a little bit. And so he goes to meet with Joe Payne to talk about he's like I want to get more knowledgeable. If I'm going to be voting, I should know what I'm voting on. So maybe I can read some of the bills that are coming up and mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, my deficiency bill with the uh Willet Creek Dam is coming up. Uh why don't you uh he like deflects. He's like, "Why don't you uh that boys camp idea sounds like a good idea. Why don't you work on that with Saunders? Maybe you can put up some legislation and have it introduced." Yeah, like make yeah, it that's make your a good own idea. bill. Stay out of my business and make your own bill. <laughs> And he's like, "Well, that's a great idea, Payne. Oh, G- you know, G. Willikers, I knew you were he a good man." He did say G. Willikers at one point. <laughs> no, I did. He really? I, think, I swear. He says G. Wiz a bunch. And, oh boy, G. Wiz and you know, yeah. funny little <laughs> phrases. But I, I swear, I think he says Willikers at one point. <laughs> <laughs> well, he goes. He's super excited to do that. So, but before he leaves to go do that, Susan Payne comes in, and there's a funny little comedic thing where the camera doesn't look at their interaction but as they're talking it just moves and it focuses entirely on his hat. on his yeah his hat as it's like he's nervously fumbling with it in his hands and he drops it a couple times and he's just shifting shifting it around and and uh, as he's talking to her and then eventually he's like backs up and knocks over a lamp on his way out and and you know funny funny kind of very screwball comedy kind of yes stuff i thought of uh carrie grant and bringing that baby yeah and once i mean show don't tell i mean they're you know he's speaking mm-hmm. pretty normally which has a little you know pauses in what he's saying and a, a little bit of stuttering mumbling under his voice but mm-hmm. um yeah they're just showing the hands showing the hat i really liked that and they they show the hat a couple other times him fumbling around with the hat i think like one or two other times mm-hmm. um, but yeah that was really really effective filmmaking right there a plus, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> they go back to the office, and Saunders walks Smith through the legislative process. And this is kind of a another you'd think would be an eye-opening scene where you know it's like her version of Schoolhouse Rock of how a bill becomes a law, mm-hmm. um, but it's like this really pessimistic view of it. Where just a moment, do I understand that you're going to present a bill? Yes, Senator Payne and I decided it was the only way we could. Senator Payne well, decided this with you? Yes, it was his idea. Of course, I should have been the one to think of it. My dear but, Senator, have you the faintest idea of what it takes to get a bill passed? No, no, you're going to help me. If I were triplets, I could. Well, now, Miss Saunders, Senator Payne said that you're going to help me. Now, what do we have to have? What books do we have to have? And when Senator, you, how do uh, we write do you the mind bill? if I give you a rough idea of what you're up against? No, no, no. Go ahead. Well, a senator has a bill in mind, like you a camp, right? Right. Fine. Now, what does he do? He has to sit down first and write it up. The why, when, where, how, and everything else. Now, that takes time. Well, but this one is so simple. 
Oh, I see. This one's simple. Yeah, and with your help, why Oh, I'm you... helping, yeah. Simple, and I'm helping, so we knock it off in record-breaking time of, let's say, three, four days. Oh, a, a day. A day? Yes, just tonight. Tonight. I don't want to seem to be complaining, Senator, but in all civilized countries, there's an institution called dinner. Oh, sort of hungry myself. Well, uh... Couldn't we sort of have some stuff brought in on trays, you know, like big executives? You know? Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Well, dinner comes in on trays. We're big executives. We're light into this. And we finish the bill before morning. Where, you know, you introduce it, it goes through all these committees, you get it on these calendars, blah, 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 and then eventually it comes time to vote on your bill and Congress adjourns. Yeah. <laughs> and he's... He's like, well, so should we uh, get to work on it now? We got some pencils and paper and, you know. <laughs> She's like, okay, yeah, let me just go get a pencil. Yeah. It's dawn. Your bill is ready. You take it over there and introduce it. How? You get to your feet in the Senate, take a long breath and start spouting. But not too loud because a couple of the senators might want to sleep. Then a curly-headed page boy takes it up to the desk where a long-faced clerk reads it, refers it to the right committee. Committee, huh? Committee. Why? <laughs> Look, uh, committees, uh, small groups of senators have to sift a bill down, look into it, study it, and report to the whole Senate. You can't take a bill nobody ever heard about and discuss it among 96 men. Where would you get? Yeah, I see that. Mm -hmm. Good. Now, where are we? Some committee's got it. Yeah. Now, days are going by, Senator. Days, weeks. Finally, they think it's quite a bill. It goes over to the House of Representatives for debate and a vote. But it has to wait its turn on the calendar. Calendar, huh? Yeah. That's the order of business. Your bill has to stand way back there in line, unless the steering committee thinks it's important. What's that? What? The steering committee. <laughs> Do you really think we're getting anywhere? Oh, yes, Miss Saunders. Now, uh, tell me, what's the steering committee? Committee of the majority party leaders. They decide when a bill is important enough to be moved up toward the head of the list. Well, this is. Pardon me, this is. I was thinking of just finishing it tonight. Like, what do you mean? Let's just do this. <laughs> yeah. So he's trying to dictate the bill to her, and she's really directing him with the specifics that he needs. It's like, where's it going to be? How big's it going to be? How much do you need? All these, like, things. And he's like, yeah, 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 but we need to, we need to get the spirit of it in there. And yeah. he's like, you know what needs to be in there? And he looks out the window. He's like, the Capitol Dome. Yeah. Like, all lit up at night. That's what I want to be in there. So these these kids can get the idea, the feel of the spirit of what this means. And mm -hmm. and it's a great, great speech on what liberty means. And it shouldn't just live in books. You should be able to hold it in front of people's faces. And again, starts waxing poetic about the, the, what liberty and, and the, then he goes into like the beauty of nature in his home state and, and Saunders is just looking up at him with emotion welling up in her eyes. Mm -hmm. And it is one of the, it, it very it happened one night you know it's shot like very like it happened one night style yeah. where she's looking at him very affectionately and you can see her kind of hard pessimistic exterior starting to crack that's what's got to be in it what the capital dome on paper i want to make that come to life for every boy in this land yes and all light it up like that too you see you see Boys forget what their country means by just reading the land of the free and history books. When they get to be men, they forget even more. Liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books, Miss Saunders. Men should hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free to think and to speak. 
my ancestors couldn't, I can. And my children will. Boys ought to grow up remembering that. And, and that, that steering committee, or whatever it is, they've got to see it like that. And I know Senator Payne will do all he can to help me, because he's a wonderful man, isn't he, Saunders? You know, he knew my father very well. He did? Yeah. Yeah, we need a lot more like him. His kind of character, his ideals. Um, let's get on with this. Hmm? Oh, yes. They don't really, like, have a very, like, explicit or, like, you know, like they are together, they are a couple, or they're a relationship, or anything like that. You know, they don't like have a big moment or anything. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I really love their relationship. I mean, yeah, you can tell that she's just so I don't know enamored by him. Just yeah, just like wow, this guy's still happy and positive about all of this crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, again, it's Jimmy Stewart. He has nothing to hide. He says everything, and so it allows everyone else to have these understated very effective performances around him where things are hinted at but we never get to fully hear it it's the show don't tell claude we you know you learn a lot about claude rains just by his facial and you learn his facial expressions you learn a lot about saunders from hers in this scene too she never fully reveals all of her cards but like, we do get a card here uh he asks her he's like does everyone always call you saunders and she's like mm-hmm. like yep pretty much and she's like, like i also and- answer to whistles yeah <laughs> <laughs> dumb but then he finds out that her name is uh, clarissa mm-hmm. and she was like oh you didn't really respond very uh warmingly to my name it's like would you have preferred it to be susan <laughs> <laughs> like Susan Payne, yeah. and he's like, "Oh man, she is something." <laughs> and he like goes off. Yeah. <laughs> he also says this really cool thing when he's talking about um, the beauty of nature in his homestay. He says something about his dad, how his dad told him to live life as if you've just emerged from a tunnel. Yeah. My dad had the right idea. He had it all worked out. He used to say to me, "Son, don't miss the wonders that surround you." Because every tree, every rock, every anthill, every star is filled with the wonders of nature. And he used to say to me, have you ever noticed how grateful you are to see daylight again after coming through a long, dark tunnel? Well, he'd say, always try to see life around you as if you've just come out of a tunnel. That summarizes the Jefferson Smith character. Everything is just amazing and wow. It's br- you know bright and just full, filled with awe. And Saunders says that she feels like she's lived most of her life in the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's and, really cool yeah. too. And that speaks to Frank Capra also. I mean, like that's kind of the way like a, a new hopeful you know, immigrant in the United States would view the United States. If it was like a happy, you know, free place and their life mm-hmm. is much improved, they would view it as... They just got out of a tunnel and, you know, in awe and appreciative of everything. And how much is that of that is Frank Capra? Because we've learned that his story, yeah, he came over as a child on a boat and he looked out the window of this little porthole of this stuffed, crowded boat filled with, you know, poor immigrants coming over from Europe. And he sees the Statue of Liberty through the little porthole. Yeah. And how much is that being in a dark hull of a ship looking out to the light you know how mm-hmm. that is exactly living life like you're coming out of a tunnel yeah you know oh, it's man. it's it's so perfect it's um, so perfect and uh i love i love the the imagery of that that it's a very well written line that sums up mm-hmm. so much great characterization in it it's very very effective mm-hmm. um 
and the whole scene is just a great thing where they're yeah like you said they're not never says that they're in a relationship but they're you can totally this they're building the one so yeah. effectively yeah. or growing one if you're gonna go seeds <laughs> and he's jim's jimmy stewart is so charming when he's talking with a girl he seems so innocent and confident and aloof mm-hmm. but also just comfortable it's just it, he's very good when he's flirting i feel like he just it works yeah i was picking up some more aloof vibes that like he was just you know super super passionate and his confidence and mm-hmm. his passion were just just super attractive for everybody they're just I don't know. Mm-hmm. anyways but they go moving. back to the bill mm-hmm. and uh jefferson smith mentions the location of the camp's gonna be around be at willet creek yeah creek. and saunders perks up at this and she's like uh this is gonna cause some problems yeah but she's like this <laughs> so. could be good though <laughs> yeah so they cut to the senate and saunders goes over to diz in the gallery and she's like watch this show is about to commence. You know, this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then watch these people. So, And it plays out just like she describes. The Senate comes to order, and Saunders signals Smith to stand up to introduce his bill, and he shoots up and screams. <laughs> and and there's a fun, that's a funny moment where everyone's terrified how loud he was. Yeah, Mr. President! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he gets up to introduce his bill, and his voice is cracking. And, and as soon as... Willet Crick gets mentioned. Uh, everything happens as just as Saunders lays out. Uh, Payne gets up, and the guy named McGann, who's another, who's like a Jim Taylor guy, mm-hmm. um, they freak out. They get up and run out of the Senate, and and uh, com- presumably to go converse about what are we going to do about this. And so he finishes reading the bill, and a bunch of boy rangers are in the gallery, and they cheer, and the Senate applauds, and the president of the Senate makes a joke about our junior center is going to become a good orator when his voice stops changing because <laughs> of all his voice cracking. And, <laughs> and then uh, it's, that's the end of that scene. But, you know, he's fi- his second day on the job and he's introduced a bill and he's, pretty he's good. off to the races. Yeah. So what do we get next? Payne and McGann are in a car. They're in a car talking about the deficiency bill that's going to be read in the Senate the next day. And they want to get Smith out of there for the day so that he doesn't cause a stink whenever Willet Creek is the dam on Willet Creek gets mentioned. So um, back in Smith's office, he's already gotten a large stack of letters from boys thanking him for his bill. And many of them can contain change for the camp already. <laughs> and so he's got a big jar that he's going to be collecting all this change in. And uh, he thanks Saunders for her help and, on the bill. And, and they set, and he settles in to write letters to his family and respond to the letters from the boys. and. And uh, Susan Payne calls and talks to Saunders about her being told to distract uh, Jefferson Smith for the day. And so Saunders is really conflicted, but mm-hmm. she ends up passing the message along to Jefferson Smith so that he goes off and he's going to be missed the whole reading of the bill. Um, so they're going to get this graft through. But Saunders and Diz, then they go off and they get drunk oh, yeah. um, with saunders being mad that smith is getting sucked up in all the corruption and you can see her grappling with what she should do about it all and Mm -hmm. they talk about getting married saunders and diz it's a funny kind of scene where they're both just playing drunk you know over the top drunk like let's do it let's get married and then she keeps forgetting and he's like i thought we were getting married she's like oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) she talks she starts quoting 
Jefferson Smith about how she wants to live life like she just got out of a tunnel and she starts quoting his what she what he said about nature. He's like, You ever seen the plains with the wind leaning on the grass and the blah 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 and <laughs> he's like, No, I never have and whatever. But she makes up her mind to go get all of her things from the office and quit. She can't deal with the corruption and the, of it anymore and and when she goes back, Smith is there and she throws the deficiency bill in his face and she's like this is why you were gone. You know, read it. It's, you know, tells him about the dam that's going up and she tells him all about the plan to get him away from the Senate when it got red and and then she leaves crying. Um mm. she's she's done with it, but uh He didn't Smith, go out with Susan, did he? He did go. Oh, he did. Did. We never saw it, but he was gone. He missed the bill being read in the Senate. That's right. And he was just back at the office working or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then, and then we going. get yeah. Yeah, Smith goes to Joe Payne and tells him there's something fishy going on, and he mentions Jim Taylor's name, and and he's like, I think I've been hearing that this is all. I've been talking to people back in our home state, and people are saying this is all just a plan for graft that to make Jim Taylor money, and and uh, Payne's like, it's nothing of the sort, and Jim Taylor comes to Washington to talk to Smith, and and uh, Payne express he doesn't he his, he expresses his doubts to Taylor, but. Taylor pressures him to stay on his side, and and then Taylor goes to talk to Smith, and he says, if you're smart, you can be real successful in politics or business or whatever you like, um, but if you're smart, and he's like, payne has been taking my advice for the past 20 years, mm-hmm. and uh, Smith calls him a liar and storms out. Yeah, he's like, Payne would never do that. And he's like, you're a horrible, horrible man. Mm-hmm. And I think after that, he goes to confront Payne. Yeah, he does. Yeah, Smith goes, he's like, I called him a liar. And uh, and Payne expresses some genuine concern for Jeff, I think, and uh, but in a real condescending way. Mm-hmm. He's like, I wish you uh, wouldn't have gotten tied up on all of this. This is a man's world, and you're just a boy kind of a thing. And uh, he talks about the compromises that he's had to make you know he's he's been successful and he's gotten a lot of things done. He's like our state's got the lowest unemployment rate and the highest federal grants and but it's because I made compromises. I played ball, I play the game. And uh this type of talk just sounds like the status quo for government these days, you know. Yep. You got to you got to be in the establishment. You got to play the game to you know to get by and and you know people just take it for granted that that's the way it is and that's just how you do it and mm-hmm. jefferson smith's like no no that's it shouldn't be that way we should strive for something more something better something more holding to our ideals and so pain urges him to not speak up but we know we see the wheels turning in in smith's head that he's not going to stand for this no no well ever talk with taylor he said he'd been telling you what to do for 20 years. I call him a liar. Listen, son, come over here and sit down, will you? I don't feel like sitting down. Well, I know how you feel, Jeff. I was hoping you'd be spared all this. I was hoping that you'd see the sights, absorb a lot of history, and go back to your boys. Now, you've been living in a boy's world, Jeff, and for heaven's sake, stay there. This is a man's world. It's a brutal world, Jeff, and you've no place in it. You'll only get hurt. Now, take my advice. Forget Taylor and what he said. Forget you ever heard of the Willet Creek Dam. But you still haven't answered me, sir. Can a man like Taylor tell you and those other men what to do? Now, listen, Jeff, please. And, and try to understand. 
I know it's tough to run head on into facts, but well, as I said, this is a man's world, Jeff, and you've got to check your ideals outside the door like you do your rubbers. Now, 30 years ago, I had your ideals. I was you. I had to make the same decision you were asked to make today. And I made it. I compromised. Yes. So that all those years I could sit in that Senate and serve the people in a thousand honest ways. You've got to face facts, Jeff. I've served our state well, haven't I? We have the lowest unemployment and the highest federal grants. But, well, I've had to compromise. I've had to play ball. You can't count on people voting. Half the time, they don't vote anyway. That's how states and empires have been built since time began. Don't you understand? Oh, man. But it's, it's so timeless, you know? Everything that they're saying is just like, yep, that's still going on today. Yep. <laughs> like, that's still the reality of now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Joe Paynes today and not enough Jefferson Smiths. Yep. Yep. I, yeah, I'm just holding my, I'm biting my tongue right now. I don't want to save it all for the end. You just got to keep going through the story. There's too many things that are applicable and I don't want to ruin <laughs> how it ends. And just, we got we to gotta power through. <laughs> okay. Well, so next up in, in the story beats, we go, uh, the next day's in the Senate, and they're reading out the deficiency bill. And when they get to Section 40, which is about the Willett Creek Dam, uh, Smith stands up to speak about that section. And before he gets started, Payne stands up, and and uh, they say, will the senator yield to the, the senator? And he's like, and Smith says, yeah, I'll yield. And, and Joe Payne starts saying something about Smith owns the land in this bill, and that Smith's bill is designed to profit him. And aka exactly what Jim Taylor's trying to do with the bill in real in real life, they're now pinning it all on Jefferson Smith. Yeah. And he moves for an inquiry to be made into Smith. Yeah. And it's a big scandal. Mm-hmm. And we go to a bunch of committees where they're looking into Jefferson Smith and they're interviewing the governor and the Department of Records and all this falsified evidence. The Jim Taylor machine has come to life and all of this evidence is being piled up against against Jefferson Smith. Here's this this document that shows he owns this land. Here's his signature that this handwriting expert verifies as Jefferson Smith's and mm-hmm. things do not look good for him. No. This is like the most clear-cut case of like, yep, he's guilty kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's the machine versus Jefferson Smith, the machine of Jim Taylor versus Jefferson Smith. He's getting rolled over. Mm-hmm. And I put in our notes, things aren't looking good for our hero. No, no. <laughs> Now he all those so six punches, yeah. Now he's getting payback for all that. No kidding. So he's downtrodden and distraught, and he's at the Lincoln Memorial, and where he goes to kind of get inspiration, and and uh, Saunders meets him there and and consoles him, and and they talk, and and she encourages him to fight. And it's a very dark, sparsely lit scene, and it reminded me a lot of the scene in the barn from It Happened One Night, mm-hmm. just the way that it looked in the the kind of turning point in the story where they you know in the barn and it happened one night they kind of finally admit to each other more or less that they love each other mm-hmm. <laughs> you know they get real close to it and in this scene he kind of he decides like okay i'm gonna fight yeah an honorary stooge like me against the tailors and pains and machines and lies your friend mr lincoln had his tailors and pains so did every other man who ever tried to lift his thought up off the ground Odds against them didn't stop those men. They were fools that way. All the good that ever came into this world came from fools with faith like that. You know that, Jeff. You can't quit. 
with now, not you. They aren't all tales and pains in Washington. That kind just throw big shadows, that's all. You didn't just have faith in pain or any other living man. You had faith in something bigger than that. You had plain, decent, everyday, common rightness. And this country could use some of it. And uh, he salute, they, they run off and de- to go develop their plan, and he salutes Lincoln on the way out. And, <laughs> and the next day in the Senate, they're doing a roll call, and they say, you know, so-and-so here, so-and-so here, and then Smith, and he runs here he runs in he just barely makes it in time for his name to be read and uh, so we missed one thing so his little trial thing where he's got all those people um against him and the oh, yeah. the what is it jim taylor machine just like mm-hmm. changing all the names uh, or all of the documents uh, that have his name you know owning the land and stuff to uh to jimmy stewart's they like put him on trial or something not on trial but he's in like the special counsel kind of thing um mm-hmm. the inquiry and he's like about to answer questions or say things and then yeah, he just his testimony he has testimony that's what it is and he just bolts he leaves yeah and that's when he goes to the lincoln memorial yes yes yeah he runs off he's like there's this is i i'm my my goose is cooked or whatever he would say i'm trying to think of like 1930s lingo <laughs> yeah, and uh yeah that's right uh, he runs off and he goes to the lincoln memorial for comfort and that's where saunders finds him and they don't get a resolve to the inquiry like they don't get uh he's no longer a senator or anything like that they don't like have the final let's kick him out kind of thing it's still pending basically right and then he runs into the senate and like everyone thinks he's not going to show they think that that was it like mm-hmm. he's just gone he like ran he's away ashamed. yeah he's ashamed he's a coward kind of thing he just runs away mm-hmm. um but no nope. and saunders is up there in the gallery he's like pray diz if you know how to pray and uh a senator stands up to discuss the committee's findings on the inquiry into Smith, and it's announced that they recommend Smith be expelled from the Senate. And when they attempt to put, a, put it to a vote, Smith stands up at the same time as another senator. And so it's up to the president of the Senate to decide who to recognize. Mm-hmm. And there's a great moment where Saunders shouts from the gallery. He's like, let him speak. <laughs> and uh, the president of the Senate's like, order. I, that will not play into my judgment of who I get to pick. And... You know, it's such a simple thing, but there's so much suspense to it, I feel, of like, and I choose to recognize Senator Smith. And yeah. it's just a, it's a great moment. You're like, oh, thank God. It's like, <laughs> you you find it. yourself holding your breath in such a, like a, it's like there's no bomb that's going to go off no. or anything, but, but they do it re- in a very successful way to build the suspense there. Yeah. And I think the president or the vice president or the president of the Senate, whatever the hell his name is, mm-hmm. he's like, uh. Also, uh, no comments from, or I guess that's what he says. I will not take any comments from upstairs uh, in consideration. Like, stop mm-hmm. that. Like, this isn't interactive. <laughs> right. But she's totally helping him and, like, like, basically coaching him the entire time from upstairs. Oh, yeah. For, the, like, the rest of the movie, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. President, I move for the immediate adoption of the resolution. Mr. President, I trust the chairperson. I am the floor. I'm about to ask for a roll call on the passage of the resolution without further delay. Mr. President, the senator can have nothing to say at this time. I would not be either in bad grace. However, Senator Smith is still a member of this body and as such has an equal claim on the attention of this chair. You are about to recognize me, sir. It is merely your impression, Senator. Let him speak! Before proceeding further, 
I might remind the visitors in the gallery that they are here as our guests and should conduct themselves as such. And I might add that their sentiments in no way will affect the judgment of this chair. The chair recognizes Senator Smith. So uh, he recognizes Smith, so um, Payne stands up and he tries to get Smith to yield and he declines. He's like, and he's like, well, you know, last time I did it, you never heard from me again. So I, let's just get all this yielding business out of the way. I won't be doing any of that. And the president of the, Smith, of the Senate's real tickled by it. He's laughing and like putting his hand over his mouth to cover up his laughter. And Yes. And uh, this is the president's um, moment to shine for me. Not yes. entirely, but this whole scene. He's just like the same look that uh, Gene Arthur gives him whenever he's talking about, you know, you got to hold up liberty in front of you and, and mm -hmm. cherish it every day. And she's just like kind of, you know, fawning over him. The president's mm -hmm. doing the same thing. He's like in love with Jimmy Stewart, too. <laughs> 100%. And it just it's so great. He's so expressive and such a again. You don't know anything about this character, but in his looks to Jimmy Stewart, you know so much about him. You like I have this whole backstory to this character in my head of like he was an idealist. He came mm -hmm. to the to the capital too, just like Jimmy Stewart with all these grand ideas and and maybe maybe he made a couple of compromises along the way and he's lost some of it, but now he sees like I feel like he sees a younger version of himself in there and he wants so much to just encourage it and yes. fan this flame and keep it going and he's so entertained by it all, mm -hmm. especially that like he's ruffling the feathers of some of the other establishment type politicians uh -huh. and he's just like relishing in it and I love the looks that you like you said that he gives him the the laughter, the smiles the nods the winks the nudges you know all these things that are just like come on keep going he's just such a supportive great guy i love the president of the senate so much there's a part later on whenever Payne brings in a bunch of letters and stuff and uh, mm -hmm. jimmy stewart's like you know at the end of his rope and he's going through him and the <laughs> the president looks at him and he's got like you know a fist on his cheek and he's like leaning on that side and he kind of just <sighs> kind of thing <laughs> it's just like he's just so in love that was yeah, funny. And he smiles at him, <laughs> yeah. and that's what ends up keeping him. And Jimmy Sword smiles back at him, and that's what keeps him going. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's awesome. I love the president, and he might be my favorite character in the movie. <laughs> but this um, is where it starts. I think I feel like this. This scene. is where it really starts yeah. exactly. And so, uh, he uh, he declines to yield to the to Payne, but then Payne gets up again to express his disapproval, and and then Smith begins to talk about the Taylor machine and the true purpose of the Willet Creek Dam, and mm -hmm. and Payne start stands again, accusing Smith of trying to blackmail the Senate and painting him as a villain, and he says he regrets he ever knew him, and then he walks out of the Senate, mm -hmm. and uh, Smith says he wants the chance to talk to the people of his state, and he says something like, "If you give me one week." to go back to and you don't you promise not to vote on this bill for one week and I can go back to my state and gather evidence of this corruption of the Taylor machine mm -hmm. then I can come back and I can prove my innocence and expose this whole thing but uh there the other senators are real pissed at this like he wants to hold up this bill that's going to be doing a lot of good for people mm -hmm. and giving people money and and resources and jobs and all kinds of things that they need and and so they're mad and so they 
they storm out of the of the of the chamber too, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just the president of the Senate and Smith that are left in there, I believe. Yeah, and so he uh, he's determined to speak to the people of his state from the floor, and he's not going to yield. And so he pulls out a thermos and some snacks, and the president of the Senate smiles again. And here it comes. And, uh, <laughs> Saunders signals Smith to look at Rule Five, Section Three of the Rules of the Senate, and he's and the president of the Senate's tickled again because he sees. Saunders up in the gallery giving him hand signals of where to look and what to do and and the rule states that Smith can essentially direct the Senate to come back in <laughs> if there's not enough of them in there and so they yeah. do that and and we've got a filibuster on our hands yep. the press runs out to write their articles Saunders tells Diz to take Smith's side and in, in the articles and Diz says you love him, don't you? And she's like, yeah. She says something like, yeah, of course I do. And then mm-hmm. and uh, Taylor tells his papers to refuse to support Smith and to use all these dirty tactics to keep the other papers and outlets from, you know, promoting Smith mm-hmm. um, for like 48 hours. And he encourages people to, to wire in telegrams against Smith. And mm-hmm. and so they're, the Taylor machines come, start kicked off and and there's just a montage of all this anti-Smith stuff that's going up and being reported throughout their home state. Yeah, and but then you got the boys, the Boy Rangers, and they're, that's a little later. Oh, not yet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they do come in, and there's a really terrifying thing with that yeah. one. <laughs> that one. Oh my God. But uh, the president of the Senate is talking with some senators during some sort of break or something, and many of them think that Smith is sincere and. And Payne gets real angry about it, and he frames it as being like Smith or Payne. You know, he's like, if you think he's right, then that means that I'm just that much that wrong. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been here for this long, and you don't trust me and all this stuff. And so they go back in the chamber, and Smith is reading the Declaration of Independence. And as they come in, he's like, oh, it looks like the night shift is on. Or yeah. <laughs> Doing stand-up act also. <laughs> yeah. And the the gallery is applauding Smith and the ideals that he's talking about, and he's talking about you know, like just a little good old human kindness and a little looking out for the other guy too, or something. Yes, yes. And uh, he, well, he, well, hopefully we'll we'll find the, that clip and just kind of put some of the, what he's saying in there because you know well, what I don't he remember says, the exact words, but it's all. I old. remember the meat. I remember like the meat of it. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> he's like, Payne comes back in, and then he's like, "Oh, perfect, Payne's here," and he like, he's like. I'm going to talk, or maybe that's the very end, too, with the letters. That is the end with the letters. Damn it. He talks about looking out. We still have a little ways. Oh, man. Okay, keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Where was I? Let's see. Oh, they're reading some papers and ignoring him, and so he whistles to get their attention. He's like, no, I just wanted to make sure you still had faces. And, again, the president of the Senate cracks up at it. Mm Mm-hmm. A senator makes a motion to postpone until the morning since he's been talking for over seven hours straight at this point. And, and he asks Saunders, about it. He only lets yeah, people interrupt like, for questions at this point because he's like, I'm not getting, uh, I'm not, what is it, yielding my time. No, no, no. He's like, I'll yield for a question right. and that's it. Um, and right. He, and so Saunders is like pointing, he's like, ask the president of the Senate what happens if that were to happen. Yes. So he asks and he says, well you'd lose the floor unless you're recognized first the next day. And so he's like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and so... Uh, you fool me once. Delivered... <laughs> yeah, fool me once. <laughs> yeah. like, that's a good one. And so uh, a page delivers a note to Smith from Saunders where she tells him to read the Constitution next, but do it slowly. And P.S., I love you. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's super encouraged, and he continues on. And... and uh, 
Diz tells Saunders that not one word Smith is saying is being reported in his state. And so uh, Saunders calls Jeff's mom to use Jeff Smith's paper, which is called boy stuff, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, to report the truth of what's going on. And so she calls, and and Jefferson Smith's mom calls her. He's like, okay, Clarissa, we're all ready. And she's thrilled at this. And she's like, okay, (laughs) mom. Yeah. Nobody likes that name, essentially, or basically. Like, I don't know what the hell. Ever, she's so embarrassed by Clarissa. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. But she's thrilled whenever people are fine with calling her that. Yeah. And so when she does it, she really is excited, and she starts dictating this article um, to be printed in boy stuff. And they print the article, and it shows the montage of them printing it out, and then they're going around all over town delivering it. But the tailor machine is like attacking these children and stealing their newspapers. And at one point, holy crap, like crashes into their car and runs this, this car full of kids off the road real dangerously, like real, they're going real fast. Yeah. I thought they killed them because they don't go back to that and they don't say anything about that. And I think it's like one of the governor's kids. Like it is like they T-bone them. (laughs) Yeah, it's terrifying. And and Ma calls Sa- Saunders to tell Jeff to stop because kids are getting hurt all over the city. Yeah. And so then we go back and Smith has been going, he's been talking for over 23 hours. Mm-hmm. He is falling around. His voice is almost gone, but the whole Senate is listening to him now. Mm-hmm. And as he continues to espouse the ideals of American democracy and Payne stands up and says, I would like to introduce... This man's been talking back to his state. I would like, we have evidence now of the state's response. Can I bring it in? And they're like, yeah, let's bring it in. And he brings in all these baskets of 50,000 telegrams that have come in. And they're all demanding Smith yield the floor. And then they want him out Mm -hmm. because they're all from the Taylor machine, you know. And uh, he goes over and reads some and looks real disheartened. Uh, the ta- the Taylor machine has really struck another blow. And then the and uh, president Saunders... just winks at him, and it's all good. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. And S- Saunders, I love her. She's crushed, and she she's like yells at him, "Stop, oh Jeff!" She's like, is very emotional, and she tells him to stop. And and he's thinking about it so hard, he's exhausted, and it just seems like he's been beaten. But he looks up, like you said, right at the president of the Senate, and he's just sitting there, like yeah, with his hand on his on his cheek, just like fawning over him and he smiles just as if to say come on keep, keep going like you can do it. and uh <laughs> he smiles back and looks over at pain and he says i guess this is just another lost cause yep. and he just schools and him. this is the speech that i think you were talking about yeah it's just he's like hey remember back when uh you know you worked with my dad and uh you know you were just fighting for those lost causes and he was going for that minor and just how amazing that was he's like i, rem- I know you used to believe in lost causes and he's like, I guess this is just another one, huh, Mr. Payne? And yeah, it's just the moment after speaking for so long and his voice is all raspy and he just throws it right mm-hmm. back at him. And mm-hmm. he just gives his, you know, heart, I guess, and just pours it out a little bit more. One more drop of emotion, you know, emotional fucking, uh, persuasion here and just trying to appeal to Mr. Payne again. And then he mm-hmm. collapses at the end of it. He, if you what he says or how what he I don't know. He's like, yeah, we got to look goes, out for the other guy. This is when he think he says the kindness and looking out for the other guy part. And Get up there with that lady that's up on top of this Capitol Dome. That lady that stands for liberty. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. 
And you won't just see scenery. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. And fighting for something better than just jungle life. So as he can stand on his own two feet, free and decent, like he was created, no matter what his race, color, or creed. That's what you see. There's no place out there for graft, or greed, or lies, or compromise with human liberties. And that, if that's what the grown-ups have done with this world that was given to them, then we better get those boys' camps started fast and see what the kids can do. And it's not too late, because this country is bigger than the tailors, or you, or me, or anything else. Great principles don't get lost once they come to light. They're right here. You just have to see them again. He talks about, you know, one rule about love thy neighbor, and, and he's talking about lost causes and how pain would fight for lost causes, and, and he brings up his father, and he says, sometimes you even die for lost causes. Yeah. And he says, I'm determined to continue speaking, and somebody's going to listen. Somebody. And, and then boom. he goes, boom, and, and passes out on the floor, collapses. Mm -hmm. and I guess this is just another lost cause, Mr. Payne. All you people don't know about lost causes. Mr. Payne does. He said once they were the only causes worth fighting for. And he fought for them once, for the only reason any man ever fights for them. Because of just one plain, simple rule. Love thy neighbor. And in this world today, full of hatred, a man who knows that one rule has a great trust. You know that rule, Mr. Payne. And I loved you for it just as my father did. And you know that you fight for the lost causes harder than for any others. Yes, you even die for them. Like a man we both know, Mr. Payne. You think I'm licked. You all think I'm licked. Well, I'm not licked. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause. Even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. Big commotion. Everyone goes to check in on him, and a page says he's, he's okay. okay. Just he fainted, signals huh? up to Saunders to let her know that she, that he's okay. And Payne has bolted. He's left the chamber. He's overcome mm -hmm. with guilt, with, with everything. Yeah. And we hear we hear gunshots. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Payne is being subdued outside of the chamber. He's apparently tried to shoot himself, and and that's real dark yeah, in this movie. I feel like he's tried to commit suicide right in the Senate, and uh, they they care. He comes back in. They've gotten the wrestled the gun away from him, and he comes back in screaming, just admitting to all of it. He's like, every word that guy said was true. I've been lying. It's all graft. Dem he demands he like he should be here. Expel me. I don't belong. Mm -hmm. you know in any place like this expel me from the senate and 
and Smith gets picked up and carried out very Christ-like, you know, yeah. off of the cross as like they're very ceremoniously like carrying him um, out of the Senate. And there's pandemonium in the chamber. And the president of the Senate's trying to get order, but eventually he just kind of gives up and sits back to watch all of it go. And Saunders yells, yippee, from, from the gallery. And the president of the Senate pulls a candy out from his pocket, chews starts chewing on his candy with hands behind his head, smiling, and we get credits in the end. So what's the part at the end that you really don't like? It ends real suddenly. Yeah. I wish that I love, it just like, it ends right at the peak of everything. Yep. I wish that there was just a little bit of a, a coming down. <laughs> yeah, that what's that word? Denouement. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a little bit of a, uh, coming down from the climax because mm-hmm. it's it just like oh that's an abrupt end it, like we just got going i feel like yeah like a little a um, little more resolve that would have been nice but yeah i th- that's and it's a much smaller gripe for me because apparently they did have some other things that they had either written or shot about uh smith and saunders go back home to his home state they're they've either married or they're together and planning to be married and and uh, he visits his family or something. I'm like, well, but none of that sounds interesting or good to me. I liked, but but still, like, I guess I prefer the way the movie ends now, but I I feel like it's still missing something. I don't know. I mean, it, it sure, it felt like it ended a little abrupt. Uh, but that was just because the climax was all the way at the end, I think. But for me, yeah. I think that that ending and him not going back home makes it more timeless and more relatable, just like all with the no you know show don't tell it makes Mm -hmm. this movie i mean our politics i guess make this movie still applicable today um but the way that it was shot and filmed and the storytelling and everything i think that yeah it makes it even even more timeless um well let's talk a little bit about the reception of it before we start going over our final thoughts kind of and what makes it great Mm -hmm. um like i said real controversial when it was made and real controversial when it was released it was premiered in washington dc and many senators were there at the screening of it and they took offense to the portrayal of the that the government could be corrupt and the movie was accused of being pro-communist and it was banned in nazi germany and mussolini's italy and franco's spain and and soviet union and and all over the place um but uh, in nazi occupied france a few years later um they banned there was a cool little thing i read on the wikipedia article where they banned American movies from being played in their theaters and they were like all right after this date no American movies can be played in movie theaters and this was like 41 or 42 or something I don't know when it was mm-hmm. but a couple of years after this movie had come out and and a lot of the theaters chose this movie as the final American film to be shown before the movie American movies were banned and mm-hmm. and there was Wikipedia mentioned one theater owner in Paris who ran the movie nonstop for 30 days after the ban was implemented as a kind of F you to the Nazis kind of a thing. That's cool. And I just, I thought that was a really cool thing to note. Um, that is cool. It was really critically and commercially successful in spite of the controversy, made a lot of money, and it gets nominated for 11 Academy Awards. Wow. It gets nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for James Stewart, Best Screenplay. Two for supporting actor for Claude Rains p- playing Joe Payne and for Harry Carey playing the president of the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, art direction, editing, score, and sound recording, but it only wins one for s- best story. Yeah. 
um, not screenplay, but the story that it that it's based on, which is a weird. That is weird. That they separated those two categories. <laughs> um, Jefferson Smith is ranked as the number eleven best hero of all time according to the American Film Institute, mm-hmm. and Joe Payne was nominated as one of the greatest villains of all time. He was not ranked on there, and I'm glad because I don't feel like he's a villain. No, I he's think not. he's a Jim Taylor's a villain. Yes. Joe Payne is is just a really complex character. He's not a hero, he's not a villain, but he's he's got a great arc where he's, he's you know, a, he was a great man, complex he made uh, compromise. Yeah, compromised like kind of a victim, I would say. Yeah, but then he redeems himself at the very end. Mm-hmm. And uh, he comes around. He's the one with the journey, really. Um Jefferson Smith pretty much stays the same character throughout. Mm-hmm. But every other character around him changes. Because mm-hmm. that's who yeah. he is. That's how that's who his character is. He's just so idealistic, so innocent, and so pure, and so, I don't know, just motivating that he changes everyone around him. He's just a great guy. Yeah. Similar and to Jesus. Yeah, you're right. Also, you know, like getting carried away like Jesus. Yeah. It's like very similar to that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, American Film Institute also does a list called the Top 100 Cheers. So, like, the most the the top best movies that make you stand up and cheer kind of a thing and this was the number five movie on that list okay i didn't cheer and, but uh, okay yeah <laughs> that that's all i have for the reception of it um so the only thing i have is talk about the movie as a whole and kind of what makes it great all right let's do it uh i go first <laughs> okay go. so um i love this movie this movie is amazing mm-hmm. and i'm glad i thought you would and i'm i'm really yes. glad that you did yes you didn't ruin it for me entirely um, it wasn't like as amazing as you thought or as you were, it was built up a little bit, but I didn't let that get in yeah. my way. And I, I loved it. Um, it is so, so applicable to today. Like I was talking about, um, whenever I first finished it, I think I talked to dad and he had watched it, um, recently and I, you know, I liked it. I loved it, you know, but I just don't. It is applicable, but I was just trying to imagine it today and this story in mm-hmm. today's times and the machine. Oh, that's what I want to talk about is media and the the emphasis on media and the his- history of media in the United States and how interesting those countries that you mentioned did not want this to be aired and to be shown mm-hmm. um, and what that plays and where the media is going to come up in Citizen Kane and a bunch of other movies. But mm-hmm. um I just thought that there's no way this would happen today with, you know, with the internet, with news sites, with, because back then they had newspapers, like the Jim mm-hmm. Taylor machine was newspapers and how effectively he was able to just, you know, spread disinformation and to spread lies and to, um, in order to maintain, you know, power and control. Um, mm-hmm. Like that was just... This wouldn't happen. Like there, I don't know. It wouldn't happen today. There's just too many other forms of media that have evolved and grown that it would get washed away, sadly, by the noise. And that is the effective strategy of countries <laughs> that were coming to power in this time. You know, you talk about Nazi Germany, and you you think I think Goebbels like mm-hmm. instantly. It's like Hitler and Goebbels for me. And Goebbels is his propagandist. You know, he's like mass media. Like he's it's coming to power. It's it's growing at this um, exponential rate, I guess, during this time period, and and how he used that tool and he used media inappropriately, uh, without mm-hmm. morals and without you know innocence and appreciation of the world going around, and he used it to control 
and to put people down and to kill and to murder and, you know, just horrible, horrible things. And it's like those are the same tools that are being used in America, but we got people like Mr. Smith that are conscious of them and aware of them. They see it coming and they stand up and they speak out about it whenever, you know, it happens. And it kind of saddened me whenever I came to the end of this movie and I was like, not enough people <laughs> are aware yeah. of this. And then I was thinking of Citizen Kane. I was like, you got this big media mogul, which I guess Jim Taylor was a media mogul because he owned all these newspapers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and he's controlling the message. You know, it's like history is told by the winners. Like he, whoever controls mm-hmm. the message controls history. You know, like it, these themes just speak so much to what's going on today. But I did get a little depressed once I finished this movie because I was like, uh, not hopeless, but you know everyone needs to watch this movie and and other movies like this just so you can kind of wake up and begin to you know get come out of the tunnel you know look around like be proud and i don't know ethical i don't know how you teach people that but (laughs) be aware i don't know but yeah i don't i think it's interesting to look at this movie in the historical context and i don't know maybe i'm a little too sad what did you think about this movie brother (laughs) (laughs) well Well, um, I, I, I agree and echo, I want to echo everything that you said. I think you, those are some beautiful words. And I really think that, you know, there's so many great speeches and, and no one really is able to deliver such a great speech like, quite like Jimmy Stewart. Um, he's so, he does it so effectively. So but if I had to like talk about what this movie, something that sums up what this movie means is that there's two lines that I think of and it's, you know, the the thing about just a little bit of everyday human kindness and a little bit of looking out for the other guy, and then the what you had alluded to a little bit of of living life like you're you've just come out of the tunnel, mm-hmm. and if we can embody both of those things, and I think that's what Frank Capra and Jimmy Stewart and everyone involved in this movie is trying to promote these two ideas of be kind to one another, look out for your fellow man, kind of thing, especially the ones that are the downtrodden. The poor. Yeah, they don't have the, the power or the voice. Exactly. If you have the privilege, if you have the power, if you have the voice, you have a responsibility to speak up on behalf of those that don't. Yeah. And, and not that's T-bone what, them. And not T-bone and the not, car full of little children. <laughs> exactly. And we have so many people, literally and metaphorically, in our world today that are T-boning yeah. <laughs> you know people children that too they're killing them kids in cages and that are yeah taking away from their families or killing them in the streets and 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 it's the people like jefferson smith and his father clayton smith and joe Payne before he forgot um that were sticking up for these so-called lost causes the people that didn't have voices and and it's you know roger ebert has this great quote about Movies are a machine that just creates empathy. Yeah. And that's what this movie does. It's it's a, it creates a motivating sense of empathy for me whenever I watch it that it just exemplifies the best of what a movie can do and what a movie can be, especially like a message movie. Mm-hmm. And and I just love the performances of James Stewart, so Gene good. Arthur, Claude Rains, Harry Carey. They're all standout performances. No one can give an inspiring performance quite like Jimmy Stewart. No. Um, Jean Arthur was so likable and her arc from bitter pessimist to like glowing optimist was so fun to watch and Claude Rains his struggle 
and ultimately redemption was one of the highlights of the movie and yeah of course harry carey's performance as the president of the senate was to like i had mentioned before just hinted at so much more to his character that you know the greatness of his subtle performance is that i just developed this whole story for who he was and who he is as a person in my mind and that is that is performance that is direction that is storytelling frank capra really succeeds i was reading something about frank capra how his early movies were just so bright and optimistic and starting with this movie he kind of goes to a very much more pessimistic worldview um but i kind of disagree because well i mean mr smith goes to washington and it's a wonderful life there's a lot of terrible that goes on in the world right there's a lot of I don't think villains, it's a change. A of... Like I don't necessarily think it's a change. I mean, I haven't watched too many of his. I haven't watched any of his early stuff, but I think it's just more of he's like Jimmy Stewart, just such a genuine guy, and I think he was just being honest of what he was seeing mm-hmm. in the world at the times. So, like these are not happy times. Um, yeah, and and in both of these movies, Jimmy Stewart plays this this great man who rises up against insurmountable odds and fights off the big guy that's corruption you know corruption that symbolizes all kinds of terrible things and and in so doing hopefully motivates the audience to mm-hmm. to do that at least on a some sort of small scale in their own little spheres yeah. and in the, in their own lives to try and be more like Jefferson Smith you know to be more like George Bailey kind of and and I love Frank Capra for it. I love Jamie, Jamie, James Stewart for it. Yeah, you said it, you messed and, it up too. Uh, it's kind of weird switching between James and Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the, I love this movie. This is a great movie, and um, everyone out, out of all the movies so far that we've watched from 1939, I like this one even better than The Wizard of Oz in my mind. I think this is I so too. far the best movie that's come out this year, and and it's a shame that James James Stewart didn't win the Oscar for it. It's a shame it didn't get more recognition. Okay, um, we're recognizing it this, right now. I've got a couple more things to say though if you're almost done. Yeah, that's it. I'm I'm wrapped up. I just think that uh I I I was talking about media. I know I don't mean to take it too too far back, but the importance of media and how many people I don't know, that's become kind of a hot term these days. And mm-hmm. it's important to know, you know, I that I'm using that as a blanket term. Um, but it's important to know that it is necessary in a democracy and it is necessary for people's voices to be heard. And this movie talks a lot mm-hmm. about cons- not consent, uh, censoring, you know, other people like kid- taking mm-hmm. away kids' papers and things like that and not getting the message out that needs to get out. And I, right. yeah, I think that that's just a timeless message too. We need to be conscious of, you know, what we're censoring, why we're censoring and who is censoring. Um, mm-hmm and make sure that we have more people out there like Jimmy Stewart and our you know that are leading us and we're not being led around by dummies but yeah I mm-hmm. I love this movie brother I'm so glad that I got to watch it and got to talk to you about it and and I loved the only thing that I might have loved more than this movie is our discussion on it I love talking about this movie yeah as as usual it has made me enjoy the movie even more and uh mm-hmm. I'm excited we've only got what one more movie in 39 we have one movie left in the 1930s and that is next week next time we'll be talking about the number four movie on the list and the number six movie on the 10th anniversary list gone with the wind yes son and of a gun here we buckle go. up 
you know, put on your diapers for this. <laughs> that movie is four hours long. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I might have to break that up into split it over multiple days, but uh, yeah, I think I I'll get too. through it. We will. We will get through it. <laughs> so that's next time. My, my For this time, though, my name is Andy Fernandez. And my name is Michael Fernandez. Thank you guys for joining us on What Makes It Great.